You are listening to the REI Central Podcast presented by Maven Realty. I'm your host, Troy Gandy, broker in charge of Maven Realty, with my co-host Dan Rivers, your eco-friendly realtor. This is a bi-weekly podcast dedicated to all things real estate and real estate investing in the Charleston market. REI Central is a monthly real estate investing meetup presented by Maven Realty and Clear Vision Coaching. An REI Central event takes place every month right here in the Charleston area. We would love to see you at our next event. Also, please know that we are not attorneys or accountants. The contents of this show should not be considered legal or financial advice. The discussions in this show are not intended to be professional counsel. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. All right, thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 20 of Maven Realty Presents the REI Central Podcast. Um, We are doing an in-person episode today, which is pretty exciting. We've been doing everything via Zoom. Um, we had some, we were supposed to do this one earlier. We had some technical difficulties because Dan has dial up internet. He's got like a, an AOL disc or something at his house. Um, but we have a really good guest today. We've been actually meaning to get this guy in for a while. Um, but this topic will be more relevant probably today than it has been really ever. Um, so we're going to kind of split this one up a little bit into like sort of a normal, um, just general real estate thing that's specific to his industry. And then we'll try to do some stuff um, regarding COVID too and just sort of what the um, industry looks like um, there as well. Um, so today we've got some um, some stuff from Dan. We've got some market updates and some data. You want to get into what you got going on, Dan? Yeah, we've got two listings right now currently for sale. Um, 1139 Pemberton Farms Lane. It's a three bed, two and a half bath, 2300 square foot home built in 2017 on James Allen. It's in the Harborview School District. Um, beautiful house, nice fenced in backyard, has a, a the retention pond right behind it. One of the larger yards in the neighborhood, really big open floor plan, lots of upgrades. That's at 449,000. Homes just around the corner are being built, same square footage starting over 550,000. So it's a very good value right yeah. there. Um, and I also, have um, another listing that just pops over the weekend in Ladson in Dorchester District 2 School Systems, 4998 Paddy Field Way. This one was built in 2018. It's a three bed, two bath, a little over 1700 square foot. Again, open floor plan, hardwood throughout, um, beautiful kitchen, all stainless steel appliances, gas grass stove, a large um, granite kitchen, um, Island. It overlooks the living room and dining room. It has a fenced in, um, fenced in yard that overlooks the pond as well, and a screen and porch. It's a really, really beautiful home. And that's a two sixty nine nine. It's I believe it's still the only one in that neighborhood of McCune that's available. That's single story. A lot of the other ones are double are, are two story homes. Um, and the third, we do have a wholesale deal. One two two zero Davidson Avenue in Charleston. It's a three one and a half bath, eleven hundred square foot home. Right now, that one's one forty nine nine. Uh, again, that's a wholesale deal. If anybody's interested in either renovating it, buying, holding it, or flipping it, and do you have any listings? We got Sproul listed still. <clears throat> um, financing's been pretty much non-existent on properties like that, which we'll get into that kind of information a little bit more. That's the topic um, of the day. And then I've got something else coming up. Don't technically have it <laughs> listed yet. So I don't know if people are aware, um, Dan's actually kept up with it more than me, but we have some new regulations. Um, we're not really supposed to pre-market um, listings. We have to put them on the MLS within 24 hours of mentioning them to the public. So um, that one should be any day. I just haven't really gotten the paperwork back. So 
I'm not going to share really the details on it. I wish I could, but um, hopefully when we do the next one, I'll be able to. Um, yeah, NAR, I believe they're being sued right now yeah, for that for that rule because it is it really infringes on the rights of a, of an owner and how they're able to market their home. It's, yeah. it's not fair. So, I mean, it, yeah. it's it's supposed to protect us um, against some of the, the big players like Zillow and some of those guys and then some of the big, the really big companies too that really monopolize um, the industry, but it doesn't help the majority of us. And the problem with that too is basically you're allowed to market it within your office, but not out to the public. And even if the seller put on Facebook, hey, my house is for sale coming up next week, we can get in trouble as agents. Those yeah. are the things that are ridiculous, but it really benefits the large brokerages. Yeah. Because like, whatever, a large brokerage is able to, they may have 100, 200, 500 agents and they're able to market it to those agents. So mm -hmm. it really doesn't help the owner out any it just helps the larger brokerages. yeah so. for sure it's been problematic there's a big class action suit right now so we'll see I, I do understand what they're trying to do and i think it could be beneficial if they tighten it up um, but it shouldn't infringe on the owner's ability to um, market the property or to you know it, it infringes a little bit on um, property rights i think so if they at least do i think a coming soon which some states have allowed mm -hmm. we just didn't um that may alleviate some of the issues there yeah but. yeah so Cool. Well, and um, did you want to get it? Did you do data already? Market update? Yeah, I'll, I'll do a quick uh, market update because we did a more detailed one earlier in the month. But um, again, sorry about this. It was supposed to be recorded a few days ago. So I had data up until March 19th. But since May, I'm sorry, May 19th, May 1st to May 19th, we had a little over under 4,600 active listings. Sold from May 1st to May 19th, 712 homes. Last year, 997 homes in that same range were sold, so we're down about 29%. Showings are up, and new mortgage apps were up around 11%. I read that about a week or so ago. Um, definitely seeing more activity. Uh, I, I will tell you, it's, it's, it's nice to see that I think a lot of people, especially if you do some good videos, 360 views, um, take good pictures, and have very good detailed notes, in your listings, at least my two listings, I'm getting a lot of like virtual showings. It's getting a lot of activity that way. And then it seems that people go look at the home are a little bit more serious buyers. So sh I've noticed at least on a couple of mine, the showings aren't quite as high as they used to be. Mm -hmm. But that to me, that's showing that the tire kickers aren't necessarily coming. It's people who are interested really review the home ahead of time or going to look at it. But yeah. Um, yeah, things are starting to improve. I know we have record-breaking numbers the last two weeks in homes under contract, mm -hmm. like 490 and then 497. Yeah, and yeah so, so it's picking up. The market's still hot here, and you know, things are going well. Yeah, it's been weird. I, it, we'll see what happens in the next few months, but um, I think so many people are just stir-crazy. I've, got, I've gotten really busy the last like two weeks. I think people are just aware that the world's starting to open back up, at least our state is. Um, so there's just a lot of people coming out of the woodwork that are, are ready to buy. And I've talked to a few people too, that are leaving their bigger urban centers because they can work more remote, more remotely now. And they just want to be away from that kind of a, a dense population. Um, and this obviously has always been a draw for people like that. So I think we'll see more population influx too, which is good and bad. I was hoping that was going to slow down. But... It's funny, actually my last two clients, both over the weekend, when we ratified a contract, he's from Boston. Another one from Jersey. We're looking to put an offer in today. So yeah, yeah they're yep. it's getting there. Moving down here, yeah. Well, let's get into our interview today. I'm excited to have this guy here. Um, Dan and I both both work with him a lot. Um, I think some of our listeners probably will be familiar too, um, just from conversations and referrals and stuff. But we've got Rob Wade in here with Loan Depot. Um, he is a mortgage lender 
and um, does a lot of stuff with us. He's very investor friendly and understands what most of our investor clients are trying to accomplish. So um, it's a really good symbiotic relationship for us. Um, so Rob, let's get into um, your background, I guess. We'll begin like where you're from and what, what got you to where you're at now. All right, guys, thanks for having me. Um, I am from Charleston, so I am a native here of Charleston. And, you know, background, you know, went to college, did mathematics, business. Um, my dad's been in the mortgage industry for 30 years, so of course I've been kind of involved and learned a lot from him over the years. And it's, you know, pretty nice to have someone in your pocket that you can just dial up, hey, I got a question. Yeah. I need, you know, help. And my dad was always known for getting the most difficult people qualified. Mm -hmm. So. That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't I didn't know you were from here. I don't know how I didn't know that. I honestly yeah. didn't know that either. Yeah. I grew up in West Ashley. Yep. Okay, oh, cool. Wow. So yeah. did you come like straight out of college and know that you wanted to do mortgage stuff or something in this world? Right out of college, I wanted to get kind of into retail management. Okay. So I always had the sales background and wanted to kind of get into management. And my goal in management is to, you know, help people along, you know, help for profitability because yeah. I'm like a numbers guy so yeah. I really enjoy kind of looking at something and you know how do I make it work how do yeah. I make it better yeah and that's been you're doing my refinance right now in my my house um and my file is not very easy <laughs> to deal with <laughs> so it's a lot of um I'll get an email from Rob it's like we need a letter of explanation for x y and z and I'll call and I'm like what should I say <laughs> so a lot of uh a lot of problems being solved in this industry, which is which is cool. Um, On a math background, I've, I've never heard of anybody going to college, or at least not that I've met. Yeah, that go to math. That's that's pretty cool background there. Does that really help you a lot with the lending process, or it helps with problem solving? Okay. And you know, mortgage is one industry. It's not really, even though it is financial, it's not really 100% math. It's really figuring out a solution, yeah. figuring out the puzzle. The numbers are generally going to work, so it's just a matter of you know, how do I make the, you know, debt to income Yeah. by this is probably the biggest math part. Yeah. That's cool. That's, that's a really good background to have for this kind of stuff. Um, so let's talk about lending. You know, that's probably the, the, the biggest topic at the moment is um, what the mortgage industry looks like right now. Do you want to talk real quick about, um, I guess we'll do maybe like how residential loans have been impacted mm -hmm. with all this stuff. Um, and then we can do the more weird, like non-QM stuff, um, what's happening currently. And then after that, we can just talk about like the more generic okay. pre-COVID and hopefully post-COVID markets with those. Yeah. So even across the country, mortgage applications have been very, very strong. There's not really been a, um, a drop off in that the refinance market, you know, with COVID came some reduction in rates. Mm -hmm. Um, and then with, you know, Congress passing some bills, there have been changes with forbearance mm -hmm. and that is been the key driver to some of the limitations of programs out there with the various lenders. Can we talk, sorry, side note on the forbearance front, or at least we come back to that because mm -hmm. there's been a lot of back and forth on how that can affect people. Does it affect their credit? Um, the pros and cons to using forbearance. So let's not forget to kind of hop back on that or you want to talk about yeah, it now yeah. we can go ahead and go into it because yeah. that's probably what's been driving the market the most so when you know february march kind of rolled out um coronavirus was you know something that was becoming a little bit more widespread there were a lot of you know financial things going on in the market and 
you know, mortgages are sold as mortgage-backed securities, and we had, you know, an increase of value in those, and that's what kind of drove the rates down. Treasury, um, treasury bonds fell, so you know we saw rates, you know, as low as the three percent, mm-hmm. even some in the twos. Um, with Congress passing this relief bill, so you know a lot of people see, you know, I got the stimulus check. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, you know, lots of other bills that were in that um, student loans you know, could go into forbearance or, um, you know, there can be reductions in that. And then also the mortgage. So I think they set up to 12 months um, to go into that. So the other side of the mortgage industry is the servicing part. Mm -hmm. So a lot of companies have, you know, a servicing portfolio, which holds all these loans. And regardless of, you know, if the government says you can, you know, delay your payment, it's not necessarily delaying your payment. Your payment's actually being paid by the servicer. Right. So that strain on the servicer, they don't just have, you know, endless amounts of money to pay the investors for these loans. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of the companies that originate and service, they, you know, kind of had to cut back on programs that were deemed risky because you don't want to originate a loan and then go immediately into forbearance. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah for sure. Sense. It, it's it's been. I think a lot of people don't understand that part. The servicer. So you get your loan, and then it's packaged and resold, typically to like a, a third party. Um, but they, regardless of what's going on, they still have to pay back where the money originally came from. I, I don't. It would be. It probably would have been wise for them to pass some sort of something that would help them to alleviate their obligation. But that wasn't the case. So even though the public can get a break on paying their side of the bill, the servicer still has to pay their investors. Right. There's no breaks. Yeah. There. Which has been the biggest issue. I mean, there's. It's almost just like they're the they're the middleman, and they still have got an obligation to somebody. Um, and the, the the forbearance too. I think a lot of people have misunderstood to a degree. That doesn't mean that like that's just free and clear. That doesn't mean you don't have to pay it. Usually that's going to be payable later, or it's going to be it's going to add those months onto your loan, in the best cases, right? Well, so there might not be months added. That would be um, more of like a loan modification. Okay. What most likely happens is if you miss your payments, you're on forbearance for three months. That fourth month, you're paying four mortgage payments. Right. To catch it back up, mm-hmm. um, and if that's not an option, then you would go into a loan modification, which would not re-amortize your loan, but it would set you know some of the payments on the yeah on the back end. So they might like either add them later or maybe remodify your monthly payment, possibly, to try right. and make up the deficit. And that that's pretty common. I mean, a lot of people I think don't realize that they have that option until they're in foreclosure. But if you have some sort of a financial hardship, in most cases you can call your lender and say like I'm having a hard time, and a lot of the time work out some sort of arrangement. You know. Right, they do it all the time with someone that's lost a job. You know, we have hurricanes yep. here, so you know if your house house gets flooded and you're displaced for a few months and you have to pay rent somewhere, mm-hmm. you you do have that forbearance yeah. option. And you know, servicers are really willing to help in those situations. I mean, we're not always about you know getting that payment, but yeah. with the whole COVID pandemic, you're talking about nationwide. So it's not just you know some localized natural disaster or isolated people yeah. losing their jobs. Yeah, because you're not in the business to own homes. You don't want to take a home back and have to foreclose on it. That's not something that most lenders or servicers are going to probably want to 
end up doing. So it makes sense that they're going to work with the client to do the best they can for him. I, I think another thing with forbearance, and I've kind of heard it on both fronts, but let's say, you know, Joe Smith, I need to do forbearance for three months and I'm going to push it back three months and I'm an investor. I think this is a good way to think about it too. If you're an investor, you think you may buy another home in the near future. Is that going to affect when, when you're underwriting or your team's underwriting alone and they're seeing, hey, he went and did a forbearance for three months on mm -hmm. that one? Yeah, he paid up. He's fine. But he had to ask for forbearances. Do you think that's going to have a trickle effect and affect especially investors on buying future homes because it's a little bit more of a risk of a red flag to a, an underwriter? or It's not so much a red flag, but it does get flagged on the credit report. And prior to some of the new things coming from the Federal Housing Administration, um, they are going to allow someone to get caught back up. You know, once you're caught back up, you're eligible for another loan. Previously, you have to wait 12 months before you can do another real estate transaction. Mm -hmm. So that's that's one thing that's kind of changed in the last couple of weeks is they're allowing, there's, there's not, you know, set guidelines, but it's kind of things like, almost like a guidance of how to treat these people. Yeah. Because there are some that, you know, were accidentally put in, they called about it, and they got put into the forbearance program. And I'm sure you've guys seen that on the news. Mm -hmm. um, so just, that's, that's something that's new that's changed. Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of people almost mistake the forbearance for a forgiveness of some kind. So they just need to be careful. Um, yeah, if you're in a situation, you need to do it. And unfortunately, there are almost 33 million people, whatever the number is now, mm -hmm. unemployed. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people who need to do it. Yeah. But just weigh your options. Just understand what forbearance means. What it means, I, I don't know if it varies by lending institution exactly how they're going to handle forbearance, um, payback, the amount of forbearance they're going to give. And then, as Rob mentioned, it will it will show on your credit report whether or not you know it's going to be a major impact or, or, or not. Um, I just think it should be something that's thought of thoroughly, talked with your lender, mm -hmm. th talk with professionals before you move forward and do it. But mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, definitely. So I'm sorry, it's kind of threw you off track, but we were talking about residential loans and how you've seen any effects with COVID-19 or, or, or just in general. Yeah, so it kind of parlayed into the whole servicing thing. There, there were um, a gamut of different programs that you know, have been suspended temporarily. Mm -hmm. So you know, residential, we used to go all the way down to 520 mm -hmm. on FHA. <clears throat> Currently we're at 620. Um, you know, VA kind of same thing, um, USDA. A lot of the government programs yeah. are kind of the ones that have been affected the most. Uh, with conventional financing, still kind of the same thing. 620 is what, you know, Fannie, Freddie, you know, state are their guidelines. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as long as we get an approved eligible in the application system, then we're good to go there. Mm -hmm. Has mortgage, insur mortgage insurance been adjusted and increased to do any of this or? To hedge so, their risk or yeah so that's a good question so there has been a little fluctuation in in the prices and i'm on the mortgage lenders board in charleston mm -hmm. and you know i do have you know marcy she's you know works with you know rmi and we talked a little bit about that and there has been you know if it's you know prices change maybe once a week or every other week with the volatility there are you know a little bit more ups and downs with that but you know, standard less than twenty percent down, you need to have mortgage insurance, right. and it's basically every five percent is kind of where that is analyzed at. What um, about um, like reserves or anything like that? Have you seen any kind of um, or cash flow? Like when we did my, we're working on my refinance, but one of the questions, or for, you know, and 
item from the underwriter was future cash flow, which I'd not really seen before. So just trying to give like some sort of a statement about like whether or not it seems as though things will continue to to cash flow, especially if you're self-employed, you're going to continue to make income. Is your revenue going to be there? Right. So especially being in the real estate industry, and it's not necessarily specific to your case, but mm -hmm. you know all cases, especially self-employment, this has this pandemic cut into your you know current revenue, current mm -hmm. income. And it's not so much that you need to prove that it hasn't. It's just a matter of kind of opinion. Yeah. And that's just something that the investor wants to see kind of in writing that, you know, another risk level. But, you know, if you wrote a bad letter, is that going to kill your loan? Mm -hmm. Probably wouldn't have. Right. Unless you were going to say, well, I'm not getting any sales because no one's buying houses. Yeah. Yeah. If you said, like, I'm in a tailspin and you, you shouldn't give me a loan. <laughs> right. But if you're a hairdresser, yeah. uh, then and you can't <clears throat> open your doors then obviously mm -hmm. that would be something to kind of look at. But that's just across the board with all self-employed. Yeah. What else have you seen like underwriters being more cautious about? Because debt to income ratio has stayed the same. It's held because there were talks just before coronavirus that they were going to get rid right. of that as a requirement. And then I'm assuming that didn't happen because we talk about it all the time with a lot of my clients. But have you seen any other... Um, differences in underwriting, especially as we gradually get further and further into this um, that you haven't seen in the past that you can maybe even give tips to people that'll help them out? Yeah, the big difference is really the, the government programs. Okay. So debt to income, you know, prior to COVID, you could, someone was a decent credit profile, you can get them 57% debt to income, mm -hmm. you know, even VA. But with the whole COVID, you know, this um, debt to income restrictions of greatly reduced mm -hmm. and, and that's just a matter of you know mitigating risk so you you have you know let's just say you have a hundred different programs and you're gonna Loan Depot we service the loans so we're gonna have to keep all these kind of on our books and our servicing profile mm -hmm. and maybe we don't want to do an FHA loan over 50% debt to income because it comes with that extra risk yeah so there are individual overlays that you'll see and you'll see that across all vendors not just Loan Depot, but the servicing is kind of the biggest driver of that. Yeah. And until we get a little bit more clearance from the government, you know, is the government going to step in and guarantee some of these for the servicers? And I think that's what, you know, the mortgage industry would like to see. Then I think we could see a little bit of this easing, easing up on the, the, on the guidelines. I could see that happening. See the government try to give some support. It's this has been a very different economic situation than the re the Great Recession a few years ago because it was primarily, I mean, it was really banking, but largely the mortgage industry that caused some of that. Uh, it's not your fault, obviously. Right. I mean, we most of us were not really even in this industry at that time. Um, but, like, that, I think they know that that would be really unwise, was to let the mortgage industry go off the rails. Because that can really affect, really affect our domestic economy, but especially the global economy when that happens. Because there's just so much tied to that stuff. That it would worry me if the DTI requirement like completely fell apart. I would want that to stay relatively stagnant, just for long-term global economic health. I think it's good because it gives responsible lending, so you're not just making a decision based on an opinion. Right. I, I like that it has a little bit of boundaries now there are cases where you know someone 
could probably afford to pay a little bit more mm -hmm. and they have documentation that they've been renting for more so it makes a little bit of sense in some instances but with that whole housing bubble you know there's a lot of irresponsible lending mm -hmm. and that's what kind of <clears throat> gave the bad you know rap to that however the mortgage industry has never been stronger yeah. than it is today mm -hmm. and you know a lot of this is just kind of due to you know a little bit of uncertainty mm -hmm. but i don't see any drop off in you know mortgage applications people are still buying houses values are still there yeah yeah our economy our market's not really been terribly affected by this which is so interesting no honestly it's still been yeah pretty strong mm -hmm. especially like we've talked about a thousand times 225,000 and under those yeah. homes are still flying off the shelves mm -hmm. and can't keep them now what about like the uh, the investor side of things invest um investment style loans that you're doing um I believe before you're able to do 15% down, is it now adjusted to 20 on all those investment loans? Have you seen any changes there? So your your Fannie Freddie stuff, and I don't know if it's industry-wide, I just know for us, we've reduced it to 20%. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that has to do with the mortgage insurance part of it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that it's just us, it's probably industry-wide. There are a lot of lenders that I've heard are not doing it anymore, not doing investment loans or at least kind of froze them. So yeah, I've heard kind of all fronts on that. Yeah. Right. And it goes into that kind of investment bucket. You have a hundred programs, you know, as a, an investment loan is one of those more riskier type of loans, you yeah. know, especially cash out yeah. on investments. Those are a little bit more of the risky stuff from the conventional stand, standpoint. Yeah. And those are, so these investment loans that we're talking about too are still like your, your more conventional type. Those particularly. Yeah. Instead of like um, hard money. And right. that just doesn't exist, which we can talk about in a minute too. Um, but that's been a lot of my investor buyers were interested in commercial stuff, and and still are. And I've been telling them over the last couple of months, like it's just not there. It's not even worth looking for it because there's no financing. So let's change gears because there are still programs out there for res residential investment properties, as long as you can qualify, as long as you can still meet the Fannie Freddie qualifications, and you can still purchase these things. So. Um, I'm glad to see that those are still there because otherwise the investor market would have would have really really hurt. You know, you've still been able. I'm, we're hopefully gonna in the next couple of months have two refinances for me coming up um, on single family rentals. But because those are conventional, there still are more stringent underwriting requirements than like a hard money loan, for example. Right. But they're cheaper. Those no, yeah, the non QM loans right now. The only ones you, I mean, the only ones I could find were uh, what was it? 2.5, two and a half points and 8.25 interest. Yeah. Um, it was a 30 year to do my burr, but I'm just gonna hold it right now. But I've, I've talked to a couple non-QM lenders and it sounds like, and uh, I know you work with Civic too through your company, sounds like they're just kind of waiting till June to really get a feel for things before they open those burr type loans back up. Have you heard something similar? Or? Yeah, I think in the non-QM space and, and even including jumbo loans, jumbo loans are kind of in that space. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the non-traditional where it's just a straight, let me look at your kind of situation type of loans, those are those are going to be a little while. I think it's probably going to be a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. They are starting to kind of poke their heads out a little bit and kind of find out what those overlays are or what they're ultimately willing to fund. I mean, it's one thing to say, yeah, let's, we can do this deal for you. Then you kind of get in the weeds a little bit, get kind of to the end. They're yeah. like, well, this isn't really something that we want to keep on our portfolio. Yeah, and that's that's a big difference too is I still have family up in Boston. And, you know, we're opening a lot of things down here. My gym's open today. Yeah. And I know they opened last week. And we got indoor dining. And there's a lot of things opening up around Charleston. 
where I mean, still with regulations, you can only put so many people in a restaurant, et cetera, et cetera. But I talked to friends up in Boston. You're, they're still not out of the house yeah, for right. two, three more weeks. Mm-hmm. They're masked everywhere. They're they're very strict on their rules. New York's the same. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these bigger cities, which I understand, there's there's differences. We're, we're a little bit more rural. We have very little cases mm-hmm. down in the Charleston area. There's a lot more in the in the congested cities, but. I think of it as I'm looking at all stuff. Oh, things are opening back up. Are, are we going to open back up? But if you really think about it, some of these major cities aren't. Yeah. And it's not just based on what Charleston, well, South Carolina is doing. Yeah, yeah. Scale. yeah. And a lot of the private capital that we use as investors, those institutions are in the bigger cities often. Mm-hmm. So their their day to day is just way different than ours has been. So that's been that's been really interesting. I've heard the same thing from a couple people. Is that possibly June, um, those like the, at least the longer term stuff might reopen. Um, the longer term bond hold loans. I know some of the fix and flip ones are still going, but the points and the rates are just absolutely brutal. Yeah. Um, but the you know the the residential, the more traditional Fannie Freddie investment style loans are still there, which is is really good. I mean that's what I'm hopefully going to be taking advantage of soon. At least two of those. Do you mind telling us what the limits are just for? Our guests too for one, uh, two, three, and four unit uh, multifamilies. Does well, well, I mean, from a conventional standpoint, yeah. Um, I mean, you're limited to the. I think it's five fifteen. I'm not sure the exact number. I think it's five five. five. Yeah, five, five somewhere in there. Person, but yeah. um, then you run into kind of the jumbo, and there's not really a difference with you know multi unit except for the down payment mm-hmm. requirements. Is that twenty five percent now? I think two units twenty five. Maybe three to four might actually be thirty percent. Wow. Okay. I'd have to check. That's but if you do, if you live there and do an FHA style yeah. loan, you can. Yeah, that's for non-owner occupant. Yeah. So if yeah, you live, in it. I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. that's for investment. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I was going. Yeah. Because um, a lot of people like the house act and trying to get in the multifamily, and I know you've helped me out on quite yeah. a few of them. So it's nice that you have that ability to go up a little. I think it was like what five hundred five or something for a duplex, FHA yeah, loan. Five hundred five yeah. and six hundred. Six something. Yeah. And seven fifty. Yeah. So there, there are those if you're willing to kind of live in one of those units and you know your intent is to live there for a year so if it's one of those true house hacks you know if you can live in it for a year you can kind of set yourself up mm-hmm. you know long term and we even have you know um renovation loans mm-hmm. um, dan and i did one was it february it was, yeah, it was either february or march yeah it was earlier yeah i think it might have been february yep. yeah so it was for a veteran so mm-hmm. he was able to Purchase a house. I think we spent about seventy thousand dollars. We gave him for renovation, hundred percent financing because he's a veteran. Yeah. yeah, and he's done a ton of work over there. Oh, that house looks beautiful yeah, yeah. right now. It's change. night and day to what it was. Yeah, yeah. he did a really great job. Yeah. So that and that's to be clear that like lenders, they're these regulations change even without COVID regularly. These things are and the products change. The underwriting requirements for different investors and servicers, everything changes. So you're constantly, even more than us being agents, mm-hmm. you're constantly having to like relearn everything almost. Like it's it's a whole lot of work. And especially right now, obviously, it's it's gotta be really, really hard to keep up with the way things are fluctuating, right? Like, do you feel like you're just like constantly reading a memo or a newsletter? So every week we get a notification of the changes yeah. that we have. <clears throat> bullets and it's two pages of bullets mm-hmm. so we can kind of investigate you know some of that could be you know tied to down payment assistance programs so it's, it's not a ton of changes but any sort of changes in the you know Fannie Freddie FHA 
those those aren't so big. Mm-hmm. It's mostly kind of overlays, so credit restrictions or DTI restrictions, but it's very much very open still. Mm-hmm. There's, there's not not been a lot of things that I've not been able to do that maybe I could have done months ago. Okay, that's good. It's actually gonna kind of rolls into one of the questions we had was any uh, anything else you've seen coming down the line though? Any other bullet points or things that you've kind of whispers in the wind of? You know, maybe another adjustment coming, or everything seems status quo. Or... Yeah, I think for the non-QM, I think we're going to see jumbo, the jumbo market, kind of come back mm-hmm. first. I think before the non-QM investment type of lens, and I think a lot of that's because it's you know owner occupied. Right. Um, even then, we had you know a jumbo loan as low as five percent down, which you know in Charleston, our average probably downtown is what in the five six five six hundred range. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that investment stuff, I think it'll take some time. I think you'll they'll continue to pop their head out, but I think it's, it's really, it's kind of expensive. And the biggest part that they look to qualify you on is the cash flow. Mm-hmm. You know, what is what does the borrower look like and what's truly the cash flow? Mm-hmm. And increasing costs is gonna maybe reduce the margins. And, and I know you guys have a certain number you guys like to hit before you think it's a wise purchase or mm-hmm. wise long-term investment yeah especially a burr which is really popular right now um those are so capital heavy that they they can really be affected by even like one point or one percentage um point you know those those are pretty precarious little deals right there but or like uh interest you know interest rates popping up from you should be able to get them in the six for non-qm now you're in the eights i mean that really affects it so you just got to be very cautious yeah i mean i prefer yeah i would rather do the the more traditional investor conventional stuff with my bond holds anyways there are some problems with them where you normally you're buying them in your personal name so there's maybe a little bit of asset protection um trouble there but your rate's so much better typically the points are so much better uh, but you you typically get capped on those once you have a certain amount. So I try to tell people a lot. A lot of my investor clients um, don't plan their taxes right and the way that their income looks. So they can't qualify for those things. They might be self-employed, maybe make a shitload of money, but they write absolutely everything off so they don't have to pay their taxes. But when we have situations like this, it really helps to have a strong tax return so that you can continue to like, be effective and it's just nice to have that secondary avenue so you're not relying all the time on the non-qm stuff you also can get access to better cheaper capital like really almost any time as long as you and you should do that anyways in my opinion it's just smarter to to take more care of like you know the way your taxes look and not just being super reckless writing absolutely everything off um it's Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, um, on the just sticking with the investment side and the investors. Do you have any recommendations or anything for like buyers or or like a product that you you know has been kind of hot lately in that field? Or, or I guess you can go residential too. It doesn't have to stick to just investors. Yeah, I mean, just to kind of parlay what Troy is saying, you know, with the self-employment thing, there have been tax extensions, so people might be mm-hmm. finalizing those. If you're looking to buy an investment property, it might not be a bad idea to have that conversation before the taxes are done, mm-hmm. it, because it could be as marginal as you know, five thousand dollars of income could knock you out from buying an investment property, and it's a little bit harder to kind of go back and change those things because you run into things where 
you know, a bank might think it's fraud. You're just changing documents just to qualify. That's a great point because you've you've helped me out with one client like that where they were in the middle of doing taxes and they kind of talked to you to make sure, you know, just the way you claim things and the way you file things. Yeah. It was nothing, you know, it was just good guidance to make sure that, um, you know, if you're kind of close on those numbers, you yeah. got to make sure you qualify. Well, you we know? can start shifting into more normal conversations outside of COVID and that's, Anytime anyone asks me advice on like what I want to invest, like what should I do, build my team, all that shit, I always tell people to talk to their lender pretty frequently. I mean, there, there's no issue reaching out to you at, way ahead of time, especially before tax season and saying, you know, I want to buy two doors this coming year. You know what I mean? Because you'll just be able to give them a little bit of guidance on um, you, you obviously are going to get paid when the properties close. So you want to be productive and help them succeed especially to build that long-term relationship with them. So if people communicate more frequently with their mortgage lenders and their accountants, whoever it is, they're going to have much better success because you, you're going to actually have more of a goal. It's going to be like, okay, well, I need to save X amount of money because Rob told me roughly what my closing costs are going to be. We used like a, a generic property that I was interested in. So I know if I buy a house that's $120,000, I'm going to need to put down this amount. My points are going to be this. These are all my closing costs. And you have no issue helping people understand what they need to do. I see a lot of people wait until just the very last minute. They see something they're interested in, and everything behind them is an absolute like train wreck with their finances, their savings, whatever. And then they're scrambling, and they're pushing this urgency on everybody around them, too, to try to buy something that they probably can't even afford. Yeah, it's just going really to the basics. Like, mm -hmm. what, is your, what does your foundation look like? What is your overhead? And that's... That's really where you start, and then before you want to stick your neck out and get into the investment world, or um, before you want to buy that first house, let's let's figure out really where your base is, mm -hmm. you know, what's your income, what does it need to look like, you know, if I need you know fifteen twenty percent down, and I have this amount of money, like how much do I need to start saving each month so that in six months, that nest egg is there mm -hmm. to where I can buy something. But um, back to the taxes, especially for the self-employed investors, is you know, getting that base right. Um, how do you want to put these properties? Do you want to put them in LLC or do we want to put them in the individual names? And then even then when you have that, sometimes it's just a matter of what do the guidelines look like to make sure that I don't have to be personally liable for this debt. Because mm -hmm. that's another thing. If you're self-employed and you have a car loan or maybe you have a, another property that's in the LLC that you've had, you know, only a short period of time making sure that your bank accounts are set right mm -hmm. to where you're not individually paying these kind of debts. Yeah. And trying to make all that organized because right. it, it helps a lot. Like your system's cool with Loan Depot where I can just put in all my banking credentials and then I check the accounts that I want to basically be populated to you and to the underwriter so they can look at things. And if you've got one checking account, one savings account for five businesses or properties or whatever, it can get so convoluted and it's going to do nothing but hurt you so like slow down and organize your stuff it's just it's going to help a lot too for your taxes because you're going to be able to pull statements more regularly and it's all just going to make a lot more sense um, and that that's the kind of stuff i think a lot of people just don't necessarily think about but even owning one investment property is a business so you need to treat it like that actually something we didn't really touch upon for for the residential loan side do you see um any other restrictions or changes to like home equity line of credit or home equity loan? Like, are they still using um, 80%, 90% up to 90% value? What, you see any changes there? 
I, I don't really see any changes there other than the bank's overlays. We we do broker uh, home equity line, but that's not necessarily something I specialize in, mm -hmm. something I can provide a service for, but your loan to values and things like that vary with banks. Typically your credit unions are gonna be a little bit more forgiving on those and might lend up to 90% because mm -hmm. they just wanna you know, kind of earn your business. Mm -hmm. Your typical Wells Fargo's or Bank of America's, they're typically limited to 80%. Yeah, that's really interesting to know. Well, so I've, we've touched most of the bullet points we had here, so we can just keep talking about stuff that we find interesting. Um, the if, So when an investor reaches out to you and they want to build a, a small portfolio of investment properties, what kind of advice could you give them like, earlier on to help them be as successful as possible. It just really goes back to that foundation. What is your what is your base look like? Yeah. Whenever you are buying an investment property, we can use a projected rental income without someone even being in there mm -hmm. to determine, you know, are you going to qualify or not? And it's going to come down to what what is that base income? What is your base expenses look like? Yeah. And what the debt service coverage ratio on, say, like a single family rental property, what is that like 1.3 now or something like that? What do you mean by that? So like uh, your rent needs to be X amount higher than the monthly obligation in order for it to be like a safe loan for the, for the bank. That part doesn't really matter. But if we're just using, if you're buying a property, we'll use 75% of the market value okay. to offset your payment. Okay. okay. Yeah, but when it comes to, you know, the properties you already own, you know, you'll have that mortgage payment, we'll add back, you know, taxes, insurance, mm -hmm. depreciation. So that's really where you want to put a lot of your expenses, not so much in the other column, but, right. you know, depreciation is really a big one that you can add back in. But that's a good figure for investors to think about is you need to make sure you have like a 25% margin, at least in there, for that to be um, a, a pretty lendable asset, you know. Right. Well, that's why I said if your base is if your base debt to income is thirty five percent, and your property is going to rent for thousand dollars, and your mortgage payment seven fifty, yeah. it's really a wash. Mm -hmm. So that's why we're never worried about buying the property. You know, it's just about putting money down mm -hmm. and having some reserves. But it just comes down to that base. You know, does your income just regarding to you yeah. know what's your what's your car payment, what's your overall expenses with your house. Yeah. What does that look like? Yeah. That's really interesting. And for, um, I'm just trying to think of like questions that I get pretty consistently with investor clients. The, the renovation style stuff has been very useful recently. We've, how many have you done recently, Dan? You've done like three or four. Of them, yeah. I'm I'm on my, sure, right? my third burr, hopefully get it rented this week and then, uh, looking to buy another one. It's kind of been quiet on that front for good deals yeah, to do a burr right now. Um, I've seen some fly by, but they're just not, you don't have the value because you have to be more conservative now. Cause I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I was talking to someone the other day about, you know, you used to be able to, again, we'll go non QM, but when you do a burr loan, you used to be able to get about 75 for 70 to 75% of that loan to, to value. Now mm -hmm. they've lowered it to 65% of loan to value on a lot of them as well, because they're, they're thinking it could be a 10% drop in value so mm -hmm. at 65 percent they're still at the 75 percent of the new value that's coming in right so me being an investor my thought process is i have to really be tight on these numbers like the last burr i did we were a little over i was 
I overbought a little bit, but we were able to do a four bedroom, so I knew it was gonna it's still gonna cash flow very well with yeah. just a little bit more money into it. Um, and me and my business partner are trying to be a little bit less money in at the end of the day um, to be able to do more burst. So I mean, bottom line is, you put more money in, you cash flow more. If you're less money in, you cash flow less, but you have more cash on you. So it's, it's it doesn't really completely matter. But um, I'm just right now on my side, I'm being very aggressive on my buy. I want to make sure I'm all in, no more than seventy percent of the estimated value, value of yeah, that. Yeah, ARV. Yeah, which actually another one just hit the market today in Wayland, a three one. 1100 square feet reno- nicely renovated for 169 Hell yeah. so i'm just like please let's get these things yeah. closed and get those um those values up so then you know uh, my burrs are no, nowhere near that level i'm not putting you know stainless steel appliances in and, and granite right yeah. now but it at least helped the values be you know maybe 10 percent lower than yeah well i'm in the same boat lower, yeah. as you i've got two that one we're done that will be hopefully rob will be refinancing in august and then another one that we're almost done with but both of those I overpaid a little bit, and we went over on our renovation budget. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all they're still going to cash flow well, but it those burrs are difficult to mm-hmm. really pin that number down right. Um, but then, as far as the refinance goes, the conventional stuff typically is going to have a six month um, seasoning period, mm-hmm. so you're not going to be able to refinance with the conventional funds for at least six months, which right. um, is what I'm facing right now because all the non QM stuff isn't there. So we're going to be just doing the conventional funds. But I would rather do that because the rate is dramatically better. Um, and I just feel like you're getting an easier sort of process anyways. you know. And the points are a lot better too. The points are usually like at least half what you're going to have to pay with yeah. the hard money. Yeah, we may have to restructure our, our business model because we buy everything with the LLC and refinance yeah. the LLC. So we haven't been able to go conventional. Yeah. But um, that may be a conversation of our next one, switching it back to well, the buying conventional, and then quick we, claim it. We have those renovation yeah. loans. Yeah. From the conventional standpoint, it's just limited to single family, not mm-hmm. multi-unit. When that's so, Patrick did one of those recently. I don't think you ended up being the lender on that one. It was someone that he'd worked with before, but he did um, a conventional renovation loan on one of his, and I think it, it. What was kind of ironic was at the end of the day, it ended up being probably pretty comparable to just using hard money, right? Just borrowing. Yeah. Oh yeah. The expense everything at yeah. the end of the day probably would have been almost better off. We were analyzing it together. Yeah. It just would have been a little bit easier, but mm-hmm. that's. That's only to say that that does exist, that there is a conventional renovation style loan that you can do, um, especially if you're a good borrower. And that's going to help you because so many people can't borrow because they don't have the cash to purchase the property, the cash to foot the uh, renovation. Right. So they can't really do it. And, and it does force the equity, although like Dan was saying a moment ago, you want to have at least 80% LTV or ARV in there, at least. Um, otherwise, there's no point in even doing it. Yeah, you may as well not burr. Just go get a turnkey rental property. But no, you you did make a good point though because I got a you know that was that one situation. But the other one that we talked about, and we have talked about other ones where the either the FHA two hundred three k loan or the really cool one is the one that we did together. That VA mm-hmm. still uses the two hundred three k product on right. the on the repair side. It's a great loan if you if you're a veteran and you want to use your VA loan and buy something that you could build some equity in. Um, I highly recommend you talk to Rob about that because um, it was a pretty smooth process. Yeah, you have to have the vendor approved and there are some steps involved. But if you get it all on board and put it together, it was, I know my client's extremely happy about how it turned out. Everything mm-hmm. worked out really well. And that's a really cool product. Well, you could do FHA, like I said, but if you're VA, it's, it was it was pretty impressive. Yeah. yeah. Well, even from the FHA side, if you have an investor kind of going 
you know, for his first time mm-hmm. home, I mean, it doesn't hurt to maybe you have to live in it for a year. Yeah. Get that FHA 2 or 3K, get a super good rate on it, build some equity in it, you know, move on to the next one a year later. You can do, you know, maybe a 5% renovation loan. Yeah. And what Rob's saying right now is why we like to use him so much because he understands like the mentality of what an investor is trying to accomplish, especially maybe the folks that are a little newer in the process that need or should take advantage of the more traditional products. In my opinion, if you're newer, use the the more traditional conventional stuff because it's easier, it makes more sense. Um, it's a little bit safer too than using any of the, the hard money or the non-QM stuff, but house hack, like from the moment you're able to afford a property, in my opinion, you ought to start house hacking. Oh God, it's, it's, it's such a smart strategy. I wish I, I owned a home since I was 24 years old, but never really house hacked. Yeah. And uh, finally got onto that about 27, 28 years old was my first house hack that I did and I ended up doing pretty well on it and it is the way to go and anybody who needs it will say Maven Realty. We just added some calculators on our our website so feel free to use those to help you out. I've Uh, sent Rob a lot of people too that are prepared to house hack. Um, I think the majority of my clients lately Mm -hmm. have been like house people want to house hack. Yeah it's really easy to do. There's there's a couple I've been working with for the last five years and they are building their fourth house and basically every year we've you know, went on to the next house, mm-hmm. got the one they're departing on a lease so we don't have to worry about that mortgage payment. Mm-hmm. And they've just acquired, you know, property year after year. Yep. And the latest one, I think, had already appreciated, they've had it for two years and already appreciated 150000 So they had, to, you know, some vacant land that they were able to just pay off. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's such an awesome strategy. I did it. Um, I was self-employed when I started and I couldn't qualify for the traditional financing. Um, so I had to basically borrow money from just people to do them um, until I got to my third one. My third one, I was able to use conventional funds and I think I did, I did a conventional, but it was a Freddie Mac 3% down. Right. Um, and I, I was able to use one year tax returns on that thing instead of two years. So I was able to buy, and it was a much better quality and neighborhood than what I had been in. So we got in there, lived there for like a year. And then that thing cash flowed like 600 bucks for me a month when I left. And then it appreciated like $60,000 from the time I bought it to when I sold it. So I just went ahead and sold it. Um, and you can do that pretty easily. And you can really set yourself like a, a significant string of properties behind you. Um, and even if the market adjusts, I mean, no one knows exactly what we're in for. Um, you know, everybody keeps on using the recession word mm-hmm. right now. But I mean, Charleston seems to be lagging on that part we're very mm-hmm. strong here but um as long as you have your 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 plan of it will cash flow if you rent it out and you move to the next one mm-hmm. it's not like you don't have to sell in a down market you hold it until if it does appreciate in five ten years you can move it then just as long as you have your exit strategies but it's a, it's a great way to to build a portfolio i mean basically 10 year plan you can have 10 homes right yeah you know and that's that's a pretty good portfolio and all of them that you're putting you know what three and a half to five percent down and go to the next one. Then, so your cash on cash return when you're putting that little bounce down, it's you make out 150 bucks a month. You're probably making, depending on the price range of it, probably 10% cash on cash return mm-hmm. on your money. You know, interest rates probably mid yeah. threes. And you're yeah. not ever going to see that on investment yep. non QM line. And if you're living there, you're not in as much of a crunch to pay a contractor to come in to do every single thing renovation wise. So if you get something that's fixer up, or even if it's mostly cosmetic, especially if you're young, you can paint 
of the you know till midnight you can like crawl up underneath the house and do plumbing repairs and stuff like that it's not really until that was my experience with it at least it wasn't until later when i got really busy when i wasn't necessarily able to do those things like i wanted to but you can force a lot of equity in a property when you're in your early 20s by doing that you know especially if you've got family that doesn't mind to help you either because you can also use gift funds as long as that's all tracked properly you know right start like i said start with your base and then we kind of move move from there that's why it's really important to reach out to your lender because yeah. especially somebody that's familiar with this stuff so you can reach out and say i want a house hack i want to buy you know what do i need to know how long do i need to stay there how much do i does it need to lease for you know for me to be able to basically um not void that obligation but from an underwriting standpoint right. to for that to be negligent to be able to look at the next one without any sort of um, mm-hmm. underwriting problem and you'll be happy to set people up for success like you just said about that other client doing one basically every year um, speaking of which rob do you want to tell us some uh products loan depot has right now or some well so a lot of the non-traditional stuff is kind of suspended i mean mm-hmm. we did have a you know bank statement we had our own portfolio jumbo loan um what's really strong now is you know our typical typical loans and our renovation so we are the number one you know especially va renovation lender mm-hmm in the country so that's cool. that's one program that by far is not really utilized it's not really talked about much and it, it doesn't have to be for things that are you know in shambles it can be things for you know new flooring new paint like updating cabinets you'd be surprised like you know $180,000 house that should sell on market for 240 mm-hmm. and you know a lot of people are going to spend 18 to 20,000 just to make their house their own mm-hmm. and to be able to finance all that into you know, one loan and, you know, after 12 months, you have a lifetime guarantee. So we'll refinance it. You got some equity, you need to get some money out or just want to get a lower rate or maybe knock off the mortgage insurance. Um, we waive lender fees mm-hmm. and reimburse for appraisals. So it's kind of a good way to, to start. And there's, I think a lot of properties that need some work. Yeah. And you have a team that does that, um, that backend 203k loans because some lenders it'll be yeah we can do it but they're not really familiar with it yeah familiar with it and they don't really have the team in place to do it properly and that's something that i think why it was easier with you when we did the va 203k loan versus another lender yeah so that's all they do all day is just renovation loans they don't they don't touch anything else Mm -hmm. i think that's a misconception too with these with especially the 203k people a lot of people ask me about them and they think of them as more of like a like a more um, retail-style flip loan. And they, they don't always really, often they don't really work for that, but it doesn't have to be like a full-on gut that you use that 203K for. Like if it's a house you really love, you just say like you think the kitchen's hideous. You don't have to like gut the home or you don't have to do every single thing on the property. You can do the stuff that you actually like want to do as long as it fits within the confines of the loan. So you can improve the property for your own uses. It doesn't have to be because the thing's about to fall over and you think you're going to have $100,000 in equity in it at the end of the day. You can do the cosmetic stuff that you just want to do. Right, because a lot of people spend money on credit cards. You mm-hmm. go to Home Depot or Lowe's and open that card for free financing, mm-hmm. 0%, but you, know, you, you get all these projects and a lot of times they're not paid off in 12 months. Yeah. And you're stuck paying 18%. Mm-hmm. It happens a lot. Yeah. A lot. Especially to young people that don't maybe understand that, that sort of stuff, the financial... Um, you know, issues with things like that. They think that they'll be 
able to get get it out of their hair. And then you have things like this happen economically. I mean, that's why we try to be pretty conservative when we try to tell. I tell a lot of our agents who are investors and a lot of my investor clients, like, don't spread yourself too thin. Don't over leverage because yeah. things like this can just be around the corner. We just never really know. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. Want to move on to some fun stuff? Yeah, we'll start winding it down. Hey, go ahead. Um, mindset stuff, man. You answer the phone pretty much any time I call you, even if it's like nine o'clock at night. Um, so what do you, what keeps you sort of focused and motivated? Um, especially cause this is a, what you do is interesting too, because it can be very emotionally charged, especially if you're helping, um, owner occupants. So you probably get really high highs and really low lows while you're helping people, right? You do, but it's, it's, um, I mean, it all goes back to family. I mean, I have a wife and two kids mm -hmm. and, you know, probably next year I'll have a third. So you know, obviously there's a lot of motivation there, mm -hmm. you know, to support them. And, you know, when you meet someone, I mean, and they have the dream of home ownership, I mean, that's one of the hardest things to do is get someone in the house. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can apply online mm -hmm. and get a credit card really easy or go out yeah. and get a car loan very easy, but you have to, um, you have to take on that challenge and that puzzle. And that's, you know, something you don't get in your everyday, you know, nine to five jobs. So, yeah. you know, that seven o'clock, eight o'clock phone call, you know, might be someone that leads me to, you know, additional customers or, you know, ultimately leads into a deal. Mm -hmm. And in this business, just as you guys know, you have to sow a lot of seeds mm -hmm. in order to, you know, get a harvest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, and that's important to me. I mean, one of the biggest things, and I know we've had this conversation too. I mean, we've known each other for a year and a half and then started working together about, I don't know, eight months ago, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever it's been. Um, is communication you know you work with a lot of lenders you work you know you, you do the trial and error and that was one thing i was impressed with you like you communicate you let me know what's going on um you're just straightforward and you're very even toned i don't yeah. know if that's the way to say it but like you're just yeah. you're you say, talk light. about the highs and lows very rob's calm. just kind of like yeah just here's what's going yeah. on just facts and keep going and clients appreciate that i try to do the same thing because if we get excited we're getting the clients excited. Or if we get down, we're getting the clients right. down. We yeah. gotta keep that and that and you do a very good job at that to keep the clients all right. Oh. Let's just keep moving forward. Yeah. Very and we're jaded too, so when we get bad news, we're like, Yeah, there might be a solution. But mm -hmm. to them, if they hear even like the slightest amount of bad news, they think, Oh my God, it's over, we're done, you know. Yeah, I mean the biggest part too is like, you know, experience. So a lot of times, you know, even if I have to deliver bad news, it's not always like, you know, this is gonna kill it sometimes mm -hmm. there are those instances but it's a matter of like you got to really just pause like let's let me think this through just like you know your letters mm -hmm. you know there could be something you could say that could really trigger us to kind of need like four or five different things or mm -hmm. it's just a matter of you know let me think about it for a day and maybe look at some guidelines to see what we can do to you know this is this is not what you should write, but yeah. this is, you know, this is how we should look at it. And this is kind of the reason why that it's this way. Mm -hmm. um, well, that's what happened with my refinance was there was a property that I thought it's a rental property of mine that I own free and clear that I thought they, the underwriter knew about, but apparently it ha I just, they just hadn't seen it or I hadn't mentioned it. So I mentioned this property and she was like, Whoa, hold on. Now we need everything on that property. And then we went, from there, everything was fine with that, but then we went into large deposits, which are difficult when you own a business because there is a lot of money like coming in and out, especially if you're an agent, because most of your checks are larger than that minimum 
deposit. You know what I mean? When you get a commission, it's it, we're not getting paid every two weeks, so we're right. getting paid these big fat checks, and we have to write letters of explanation for that. But um, some of my deposits were just really weird, um, transferring from like one account to another. So we were just trying to like not. They're all legitimate. All of it was like perfectly fine, but we were just trying not to like word that stuff in a way where it would be sound worse than it was. So ultimately, it was like just, just you know, be honest about it. Well, like you, you, know, you need like an explanation. You don't need a novel on it. You don't need to. Yeah. You, know, you just need to provide details of what that transaction is. Yeah. It doesn't need to be, you know, discussion of a whole treatise. Yeah. Because that's what I did. One of them was our syndication transfer. Mm -hmm. So I had written like a whole paragraph about like we syndicated into this property and it's gonna you know we'll, we should get a monthly distribution of X and da 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 da. Where I was like, you don't need to say all that. Just say it was a business transfer, it's just a, a transfer from one of your accounts. Because you're not really business accounts. Yeah. Of that, you're just pitching in money. Yeah. So it's not relevant mm -hmm. and things like that can cause her to ask more questions. Yeah. It's our her. version of four hundred one k, which I love. Yeah. yeah basically. <laughs> um, what about any recent books, podcasts? Obviously, you listen to ours all the time. I know that. But <laughs> recent books and podcasts, you like any recommendations? I'm not a huge book person. I, I like to read a lot of articles. So my attention okay. span is very, um, I wouldn't say like short, but, you know, I, I can appreciate reading like, you know, four to five pages of, you know, like a topic and then yeah. kind of moving on to something else that could, could be related and, and things like that. Kind of like how like, because I'm like a really big history person. Okay. so reading like a story or, or something like that is kind of my thing i don't like to read you know the whole odyssey right if that makes sense yeah it does i've done a good it. book actually yeah yeah but, i get what you're saying but <laughs> there's a there's a short one that i that i really like that really like changed my mindset a lot is um like the lizard brain oh yeah lizard brain okay yeah mm -hmm. uh, i forget the whole title but that's basically you know the premise of it's a lizard brain so we're a creature of habit and not necessarily the biology behind it is to kind of protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we might not go outside of our box because we want to protect ourselves emotionally, physically, mm -hmm. things like that. So certain things like you drive the same way to work every day. Well, you know, to try to rewire your brain, why don't you take a left and go like a way that might take another minute or two mm -hmm. just to kind of get yourself out of that. You know, I'm always going from A to B. Like, let me just go off the curve a little bit. Especially if someone's, no. someone's stalking you, that's a good thing to do too. Yeah. So they don't know you're yeah, bad yeah. every day. You shake them. Yeah. That, that <laughs> stuff is really cool though. When I quit drinking, it was all about, that's where most of your habits are formed too. Um, it's like your short-term sort of uh, reward system. It all right. lives in there. But like understanding that, that's just emotional intelligence too. So if you understand that part of your brain, it'll really help you just like succeed in general and make better decisions in the long run it's pretty cool i forget what the actual part of your brain's called it's like in your base back here but yeah i don't remember what it's called but i can't remember. they call it a lizard brain. yeah it's yeah. really cool um but you send us too frequently i know you you catch up on articles especially financial stuff and about um the mortgage industry in general because you email us stuff pretty frequently right you'd be like check this out this is a change it's coming down the pipeline and that's pretty dense stuff that you have to read a lot of the time it's not like necessarily fun to read it's not fun but sometimes that's why I said I like I like articles because yeah. I can maybe spend ten minutes on that. Mm -hmm. That's harder to digest, you know. Even if it's only five pages, if it's all figures and federal guidelines and da da da, that's harder to read than like a five page, you know, little fun thing. I do agree with you though. Like any some of the books that I've read that are some of the best books, it's like ten pages per chapter. Mm -hmm. right. It's like I could just do a chapter 
can put it down and it's um it's i don't know to me i i agree like if it's 40 50 pages you're in and it's it's i have that same mind where you like your mind's just spinning a million miles an hour if i read more than a little bit my mind just goes off anyway sorry and i'm like off on a tangent and my mind's thinking about something totally different yeah. so yeah yeah i digest it a little bit easier that way me too what about things for fun Really just spending, you know, family time. Mm -hmm. um, weekends, I got, you know, a couple of groups to play soccer with to get out and get some exercise because it's kind of hard to do during the during the week, especially yeah. with, you know, a family. Yeah. But, yeah, we enjoy the outdoors, you know, Charlestown Landing, the beach, just, you know, gardening. It's a lot of the kind of... Yeah, I didn't know you were gardening. You got some stuff growing? Tomatoes and peppers and some cucumbers. Yeah. And banana tree. So our banana tree... You have a banana tree? Yeah, so our, our neighbor, it was sitting in a bucket for probably like a year, and it probably was about the size of, you know, 6 to 12 inches. Yeah. And we planted it, and you guys remember that ice storm that we had? Yeah. Like four years ago? Mm -hmm. So it, it went completely to the ground. Like, we thought it was just dead, but the way those kind of sprout is, you know, another banana tree will sprout from the mother tree. Mm -hmm. And now it's probably, there's probably five trees where that one... That's awesome. That nice. is pretty cool. And last year we had bananas from. They were fruity? Were they, were they... Yeah, last year we had bananas. Wow. The first year. Were they really good? They were good, but they're really small. It, okay. it turned yeah. out that it was um, like a finger, what do they call it? Fingerling? And a little dwarf one or yeah. something? They're like finger yeah. ones. That's pretty cool, though. Yeah. Nice. But I thought it was completely dead. I mean, it was, there was nothing there. We just one day saw it, it sprouted out. And That's awesome. It's just interesting how. I might, Mother Nature cool. is like that. I might yeah. look for a banana tree. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I might cut you one off ours. It's just... Yeah, give me, got a, like, give me think, a stem off of it or something. Three, oh, no, it's... Like, there's bulbs. So you just oh, okay. chop them off from the bulbs. So okay. there's probably, like, three of them. I can probably give you three next year. Okay. Just don't take us <clears throat> rose bushes. They cut your hands up as you're trying to plant those. Yeah. <laughs> they gave me a couple rose bushes. Yeah. Picking yeah. <laughs> well, those up was tough. Was, <laughs> those, those are probably, like, seven feet tall. Oh. Yeah. Um... Yeah, is there anything else you'd like to add? Really appreciate having you on. Is there any anything else you'd like to tell anybody or Yeah, I mean if you guys ever, you know, want to have that conversation, you know, I don't mind, you know I wouldn't say all hours of the night, but you mm -hmm. know, definitely I've taken phone calls seven, eight o'clock and especially if you're not self employed, there's a lot of cool technology behind it. Yeah. You know, there are instances where we don't need pay stubs, tax returns, all that stuff's digital. Mm -hmm. You've seen the digital um, space on the, the bank statements. Yeah, it's easy. Um, a guy that you recently sent me, we completely can get him approved without even him submitting any documents. <clears throat> and I think it's a matter of time, probably. I think next year you'll, you might start to see closings at the beach. Yeah. I mean, nice. Yeah. So a lot of those remote closings. Yeah. And really the, the technology's there. I mean, it's, it's so, especially if you have an out of state client, it's such a pain in the ass. You have to mail all that stuff, get all the mortgage documents signed with ink. And I understand why we do that. Um, but there just has got to be a more efficient way given that yeah. in the 21st century technology these days, you could record them as they're doing it, yeah. the video of it as they're doing it. But what about, um, I know I'm hopping a little bit ahead there, but ways to get in touch with you if they want to. Yeah. So a couple ways you can go to my website, um, loan depot.com slash R Wade, uh, give me a call 843-425-3041 and we're located downtown, but you know, definitely let's have a conversation. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, we'll start wrapping it up. We just got a couple housekeeping items that we'll get through and then we'll be all done. Yeah. Appreciate your time here. Um, 
Just a quick investing tip. Uh, we've already talked about it, so I'll be quick with it, but just um, you know, before buying, talk to your lender about the restrictions, terms, as we've been often talking about, because that loan to value has been adjusted and you just want to make sure when you're analyzing a deal, you're using terms that are that are viable now, mm-hmm. not even you know three, four weeks ago as things are always changing. Um, and then a couple things around Charleston. Honestly, um, there's not a lot specific going on as we know because you can't really do events and the festivals. Just beaches have opened up. Just be responsible. Um, you know, try to clean up after yourself. I will say that because you just go to the beach and you see sometimes people leave trash and stuff. Be respectful. It's Mother Nature. Um, gyms are starting to open up. Restaurants. And I would just say continue to support local if you feel comfortable. You know, yeah. if you feel comfortable enough to go out to dinner or, or get takeout. Um, just really remember these small mom and pop shops that have been struggling and, and still don't forget about if the hair salons, nail mm-hmm. salons aren't open yet, maybe get some gift, gift certificates for, for those gifts days. or, yeah. yeah, for like your clients, if you're a realtor, whatever the case is, it would just, just keep supporting local business because they've been hit probably the most, um, out of everybody in this, in these yeah. typical times. Yeah. Especially those that weren't able to qualify for these different SBA products, which I, I did get an SBA thing, uh, loan for Maven. So It'll be a big deposit. Hopefully, I won't have to um, answer. <laughs> I got one yesterday too. An email yeah. back, yeah. Yeah, and the, the paycheck protection stuff all came in for me. It was a pain. It was a serious pain in the ass to get all that stuff done. Um, but it's been that's been really interesting times with all those things. You know, um, none of that was personal. It was all through businesses. But um, hopefully, that won't have any kind of effect on my refinance. Should be fine. Yeah, should be okay. But um, we can explain it. Yeah, I mean, why not? It's there and it's helpful. So. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. We do have the next REI Central um, set up for June 4th, first Thursday. We're it's going to be virtual? Yeah, mm-hmm. we yeah. wanted to do it in person, but the venue, it's a city-owned venue that we use, and they're just not um, quite there with like their what they want to do as far as social distancing is concerned going forward. So we're just going to do one more Zoom call, um, and then after that, we'll hopefully be getting back in person yeah and the investment breakfast any of those that go with um daniel randazzo and that yeah. team uh we did meet in person we were in the park so we we're kind of all oh, outside cool. um i believe that one's not until the first week of june so that's another two weeks away or whatever yeah. that is but uh that that is still continuing to go on as well anybody's interested in the breakfast yeah investment meeting. that's really good to know well that is it for today rob thanks man we really appreciate you um and hopefully you know if anybody's interested in investing or owner-occupant properties, whatever. Dan, or, um, Rob's an awesome lender, so please feel free to reach out to him and he'll help you get into a house. Have a great day, everyone. Bye. Thanks again for listening to the REI Central Podcast presented by Maven Realty. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions or concerns, please reach out to us. You can find us online at www.mavenrealtysc.com. We also hope to see you at our next REI Central meetup. More information on dates and tickets can be found at www.rei-central.com. Have a great day.